We're going to be in Galatians 6. We made it to Galatians 6. You have arrived in the final chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to begin the message today by offering to you a series of question, questions. I'd just like for you to ponder them, think about them as we're going through these instructions from the Apostle Paul. And just for you to, to think about them, you may want to jot one down if it, if it hits you to think about. Here are the questions I want to give to us today. Number one, who is ignored by the church? Who is ignored by the church? Here's another one. What sin is excused by the church? Question three, how is restoration played out? How about this one? How is God mocked? And not just out in the community, but how is God mocked in the church? A final one to think about is this. Don't answer out loud. Who is tired in the church? Who is tired in the church? In this passage, these verses, Paul continues his very practical closing section of Galatians, and he gives some amazing commands. I think there's at least six. We're going to look at those quickly today. Let us let us read the scripture. Would you join me? Uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. The one who is taught the message must share his goods with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must, we must work for the good of all. You might want to underline that word. Especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for scripture. We thank you for this journey in Galatians. We thank you for seeing freedom in Christ. We thank you that we are justified. It's your grace. And we have faith in Jesus and there's not hoops that have to be jumped through. There's not certain works that have to be done. God, you are the one who saves. And you offer this as a gift to us, and we're so grateful for that. Thank you for the instruction we received today from your word. God, please speak to hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to jump in, and uh, we'll start with verse 1. And this is command number 1, and it's simply this. Restore the fallen. You can use a different word, but you get the picture, restore the fallen. Command number one, Paul writes about what I think is the proper response of believers towards one, anyone caught in any wrongdoing. 
Now that word caught is an interesting word that we find in verse 1, brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, it means to anticipate, <clears throat> uh, to overtake, to surprise. And I say, what a picture of sin. What a picture of sin when you think about uh, being overtaken. Remember this, church. Sin will always catch up to us. Anybody testify? Is that not true? You ever? It's happened to us. Maybe it hadn't happened to you in a while, but uh, someone lies about something. What happens? You've got to have a lie to go for the lie, and then a lie, it just gets worse and worse instead of fessing up, right? Any parents in here <laughs> experience that with your kids, right? It, it would have been so much easier if you would have just fessed up. You see, sin will always catch up with us. Listen to Scripture, number, Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. And it doesn't matter whether you're a famous person in charge of a ministry or someone who lives by themselves and not many people interact with them. It does not matter who you are or what position you have. Sin will find you out. Do you remember Genesis 4-7? This is God speaking to Cain. Anybody remember Cain? Anybody named your firstborn son Cain in here? Let me see. Raise him up high. Yeah. Genesis 4-7. This is what God says to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. That's a picture of sin. It's, it, not only will our sin be found out, not only uh, can we be caught in wrongdoing, not only can we be overtaken or surprised from it, but, but listen to this. It's crouching, it's waiting. It is a great arrow, dart of Satan that he uses in our lives, right? What better thing to do than for Satan to realize, I've lost this person to eternity this, he or she is a Christian, but let me see if I can get them to dabble in this sin and that sin and ruin their testimony. Amen? Here we have this phrase as we start out this passage, the idea of someone who's running from sin, but sin is faster. And it, sin overtakes the guy and catches him. Why? Why does that happen to us? Because of some type of weakness. We're human. Perhaps a failure of prayer. A failure definitely to look to the Lord for victory. We talked about it last week. We're not walking in the Spirit. If we're not walking in the Spirit, it becomes much easier for sin to overtake us. So I would say to you, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so you won't be tempted also. We are to restore. Do you see that word there? It's an imperative command. What does that mean? It's continual. I like this even better. It implies a habitual practice. You are restoring. You are restoring. You are restoring. You are restoring. It's not a one-time thing. Those who are spiritual is the command, are commanded to restore. So we don't need to be about the business of restoration if we are far away from God. Amen? We need to get right with God and be prepared for that. And then we who are spiritual are, are able to restore. And notice the condition there. With a spirit, do you have gentle spirit or a spirit of gentleness in your scripture? That means gentle 
power or tamed strength. It's the person who's spiritual and, and has the right and the command and maybe even the power to come in, but it is harnessed. It's not in your face. Is that a little different than we see in our world today? Why do Christians eat each other? Have you noticed that? I heard the phrase just, just, just this week. We shoot the wounded, don't we? We sure do sometimes. So we are to restore if we're spiritual, but it's got to be with gentleness. Interestingly, the verb restored is used in the Gospels to describe the mending of nets. Picture these fishermen, and they need to mend their nets. That's what restoration is. In the Greek culture, in the Greek world, the secular world, this word was used to describe a physician setting a broken bone. Whichever one of those resonates with you, get the picture of, of, of restoration. The mending of a net or the setting of a broken bone. Trying to put it back, whatever it is, to where it needs to be. So the command, number one, is to restore the fallen. Let me say something about someone who's been caught in any wrongdoing. They are not to be ignored. We are not to ignore them. I don't want to mess with it because I might get my hands dirty. You ever heard that before? You get involved in, in, in lives besides just your own, and what happens? It might be a little tough. Those who are in a wrongdoing, they're not to be ignored. They're also not to be excused. We need more and more accountability, don't we? If you've been keeping up with Christian news, you know the serious report that came this week about someone who recently passed away that had, I admired the organization, one of the greatest apologetics ministry the world has ever known, and there was not accountability. And now we're finding out the sordid details. It's a mark on Christianity. So don't ignore, don't excuse, but also they are not to be destroyed. That's not restoration a scorched earth policy of just saying, you, 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 you did this. What are you going to do about it? Don't destroy. The goal is always restoration. There's another condition in verse 1. Did you catch the last phrase? The work of restoration involves looking not at the person who needs restoration, but looking at yourself. You see, we must have a full understanding of our own weakness or weaknesses. And we must guard against the temptation of pride. Can you imagine how, that much, how much that would help, church, is, as we are working with people and we're in the business of restoration, that we're looking at ourselves and there's no pride and we're able to deal so much better and help people in a, such a better way. St. Augustine said it this way, there is no sin which one person has committed that another person may not commit also. Be on guard. We're one step away from headed to whatever that sin is. So that's command number one, restore the fallen. In verse two, we see the second command, and it's to carry one another's burdens, to carry them. Simply, it's very simple. Let's not be complex. We are, we are to continually carry one another's burdens. What does that word mean? It means crushing weight. Whatever it is, that is crushing someone. It is different for this person and this person and this person. We are to come in and help, gird up, and, 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 and help carry that. 
And the scripture says in verse 2 that when we do that, what happens? We fulfill the law of Christ. Notice Paul does not say in verse 2 to tolerate each other. He doesn't even say put up with one another. What he says is this, the picture, you jointly shoulder each member's burdens. In the New Testament, the word burden is used figuratively. It it means something. It could be a lot of things. It means something that's pressing on someone physically or mentally, spiritually. It could be a burden as simple as a, a physical thing. It could be an emotional thing. It could be a deep spiritual thing. It could be all kinds of things. But the command is clear. Carry one another's burdens. It's a heavy weight. It's a heavy weight. It's a crushing weight. Now, folks, let's remember the context here. Let's not get away from the context. We can't just pull these commands out. Remember the context of Galatian? Remember the legalists? The Judaizers who are trying to force things in. Remember the context. Think about the legalists for a minute. Have you ever noticed legalists? Legalists are not interested in carrying anyone's burdens. Instead, the legalist, he is interested in adding more burdens to people. Acts chapter 15, verse 10. When Paul is giving it to the Jerusalem council, and he basically says, man, you have put a yoke on necks that people cannot burden or bear. How about in Jesus' times, the Pharisees? Weren't they about the best legalists you could find out there? Listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 23, verse 4 says this about the Pharisees. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Carry one another's burdens. Don't be like... Uh, the person who just wants to add more burdens to it. And I would share it with you right now. If you're a parent and got kids growing up, this is a great principle to get figured out in your life. You help your children not by giving them more burdens, but you help by carrying their burdens and working with them as a team. You see, the legalist is always harder on other people than he is on himself. Have you noticed that? But the Spirit-led Christian, the one walking in the Spirit, it's totally different. The Spirit-led Christian demands more of himself than he demands of others. Why? So that he might be able to help others carry one another's burdens. Well, let's move on to command three. In in verses three through five, right in the middle of that section, we see the next command, and it's this. Hey, Examine your own work. Don't just be about examining fruit in everyone else's life, but examine your own work. Paul is still speaking now in context to brothers. He's still speaking to those who are spiritual, and he gives this command. Remember this, church, our flesh can quickly tempt us to have a self-righteous attitude towards others. Now, I know that's never happened to you, but it's happened to me. We've got to be careful. That's why we have to examine our our own work. If, If not, it leads to being judgmental. I think that's one of the biggest, deepest sins 
of American Christianity is a judgmental attitude, a dividing attitude. Instead of being for Jesus, instead of being for the resurrection, instead of being for God's salvation, we are against so many things, some rightly so, but we take it to such extremes that we just keep dividing and dividing and dividing. We need to be careful with that so we're not judgmental. Even some might think, well, they fell, but I did not. It happens. Some influential leaders, scholars, would even tell us that some people go so far as to secretly be pleased that their brother fell into that sin. And it makes me feel better because I didn't fall into that sin. Listen, this can be a form of pride. We would call it what today? A holier-than-thou attitude. May it never be so. One of the reasons many Christians do not bother to help fellow Christians, are you ready, is because they feel superior. They wrongly consider themselves to be spiritually something when the scripture is clear. What does Paul state here under the inspiration of God's spirit? He says, no, you are what? Nothing. We are nothing. God is everything, and yet sometimes we have trouble with that and it causes us to have trouble with carrying one another's burdens with restoring the fallen let it not be that way and we see in verse 4 it says right there there it is each person should examine his own work that uh, you may have the word test in your scripture it's kind of a special test it gives the picture of metals have you ever seen metals being subjected to the fire and they're purified I'll never forget, summer of 1980, yes, I'm that old, touring in South Africa with a musical missionary group and getting to go into one of the famous gold mines of South Africa. Did you know that South Africa forever has been a leader in producing gold? Now, I don't really like confined spaces too much, so I had to work with going down in the cage with the the jacket and the, 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 the helmet and the light, like the miners do, and we got to go way down and see that. I was okay once the cage opened and we got to go out. But I'll never forget us getting to go and see actually making of gold bars. Are you familiar with gold bars, anybody? Some of y'all have them in your garage, right? You're prepping for the end time. No, no? Yeah. You wish you had a gold bar. But as they poured it, it it would go here, and then it would be like a little waterfall here, and then here. It's purifying all along the way. And the dross, if you will, they would scoop off the top, and they would get the pure gold. Picture that now when it says we got to examine ourselves in such a way that we put the fire to ourselves. Why? So we are purified, so we have the right motives. To help us with this, verse 3 and 4, remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. How about we write down Philippians 2, 3, and we work on that this week, church. What a blessing that would be for the people that we are in contact with. We need to do that. Well, let's move on to verse 5. Now, it appears there's a contradiction, doesn't it? Look at verse 5. Paul says, each person has to carry his own load. Wait a minute. 
You just said in verse 2, carry others' burdens, and now you're saying carry your own load. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. There's not a contradiction. Here in verse Paul, in verse Paul, (laughs) I tell you what, that's not as bad as what I said last week, right? (laughs) Didn't I say immortality? Yeah, I did. Don't say yes so quick. Don't agree. Wow. (laughs) Paul here declares that each person will carry his own load. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Verse 5. Now that's a different word and gives us a different picture. It gives us the picture of a soldier's backpack. In other words, you're going off to war. There's some things that you got to shoulder for yourself. Your own shoulders, your own soldier's backpack. Let me share a principle with you. As you think about restoration, as you think about being in the lives of others, as you think about carrying someone's burden, helping, doing all those things, here is a principle for you. Some burdens, some responsibilities are non-transferable. They're yours. They're mine. Why? Because we know what Scripture teaches is this, the Christian will do what? Give an account, someday we'll give an account of what we do. So let us not have the idea that, hey, I, I have done this, and what, let me just pass it on to someone else. No, we get held accountable for our own load. Paul is not in contradiction in these verses. Listen to Romans 14, 10 through 12. I told you at the beginning of Galatians that many scholars call Galatians little Romans. It's the, the precursor for when Paul writes this amazing book of Romans. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So as we're carrying burdens, we must examine our own work. We must look at our own load and realize we need to be prayed up. We need to be walking in the Spirit. We need to be the best that we can be through the Lord's help, the Spirit working through us. Now that sounds about impossible, doesn't it? But it's not. Just in case this sounds too tough for us, remember Jesus' words in Matthew 11.30. You'll know it as soon as I start to say it. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus makes a way for us to be able to carry our own load, to examine it, and also to carry others' burdens. And also to be able to restore the fallen. It all goes together. His burden is light. He is working through us. He helps us with this. Well, let's move on to command four of the six. Command four is in verse six, and it's simply this. Share with the teacher. Now, some of you that read ahead, you're going, "Uh uh-oh. Here comes Lamar. He's going to be asking for some money. No. What this verse conveys is the truth. Here's the truth. Life in the Spirit is a life of sharing and generosity. I want to tell you something. You're not living completely and totally a life in the Spirit if you cannot share and be generous. 
We start a new sermon series in a couple weeks on generosity. And we'll see what scripture says about that. But sometimes this is the last thing that God gets a hold of. Isn't that true? In Christians' lives. So, so th- this verse, he, he kind of just throws it in. It almost doesn't seem like it fits. But there it is. So the one who's being taught, the word is catechized. The one who's being taught, the word, is to continually, it's an imperative, continually share all good things with the one who teaches. It's more than just finances, though, church. It's so much more than finances. The word share that's used there, the one who's taught the message must share his goods with the teacher. That word share was used, guess where? In those days, it was used in a marriage contract where there was an agreement of joint participation. So we're to do this together. Well, what are the good things? Speaking a kind word to the teacher. Sending encouragement. Showing gratitude. Here's a big one. Praying for the teacher. We could go on and on and on. There's so many things we can do that involves more than just a dollar bill. So there's the command. Let's move on. The last two commands are found in verses 7 through 10. Here's how I've entitled it. Don't become deceived. Don't get tired. Don't become deceived. Don't get tired. Here in these verses, Paul's using that metaphor, the the law of the harvest or the principle of the harvest. In verse 7, we see number five, don't be deceived. Here the idea is stopping something already in progress. Paul is still working. It's not too late for the Galatians. It's not too late. They can still return to how they were when they were first saved. They can still return. They can still fight off the Judaizers and the legalism that is being thrust upon them. And Paul commands the reader right here, don't be deceived. What does that mean? Don't be led astray. It's not just that you got tricked, but it's active. It's you actually got led astray into something that is contrary from the Lord. This command is based on a fundamental truth, and we know that truth. Do you see it right there in the middle of verse 7? The fundamental truth is this. God is not mocked. That's why I asked those questions at the beginning of the message, church. We often think, well, God is not mocked, and we think of horrendous things that are happening out in culture. It applies to us as well, church. It applies to our church as well. God is not mocked whether you're, you're living a life of sin and debauchery that everyone in the world knows about or you're just a sinner in the church and you're doing pretty good. God will not, God is not mocked. This is the only use of this verb, mocking if you will, the use of this verb in the Greek New Testament, in all of it, it's the only time it's there and it's right there. And it gives a picture of a gesture of contempt. We would say this, turning up your nose. Do you know what that means? That's what we would say. Don't turn up your nose to God. Well, let's move on to verse 8. And we see the law of the harvest. We see the divine law of the harvest, and it's this. A person will reap whatever a person sows. So when someone is deceived, 
when someone mocks God, if you will, the moral spiritual law of the harvest kicks in. I can't say this strongly enough. You can't sow to the flesh and reap the Spirit. Hello? You can't do it. Why do we think we can? If you live for self, if you gratify self, if you go for all the gusto, just like the commercials say, guess what? Mark it down. Your life will be termed by one word, decay. You can't do it. Why do we think we can do it? It's insanity to keep doing it and expecting a different result. If we live for self and gusto, decay will come. That's the legacy that you and I will leave to our children, to our relatives, to our friends. It can't be that way. We must remember that what we sow, the divine law says we will reap. Wow. I'm praying that God would convict us, even of a tiny little area in our life that needs to fit that law of the harvest, that we would reap correctly. Excuse me. We would sow correctly. We would sow correctly, even if it's a little small thing the Lord reveals to us. Well, let's get the final command, command number six. It's in verses nine and ten. Don't get tired. Paul addresses the threat of weariness as it relates to God's harvest. So we could say this, couldn't we? If you sow nothing, you get nothing. You're just cruising, right? You get too tired. Anybody in here get tired ever? Okay, it's just me. Great to know. I get tired. I get worn down sometimes. It's not always a physical tiredness, is it? It can be a spiritual tiredness. It can be with what's going on right now in the New Mexico State Legislature concerning life, you can get tired, can't you? You try and you try and you try and you just get beat down. Paul makes it clear here, we must, verse 9, not get tired of doing good. It doesn't say if you win or if you lose. It just says of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. I'm going to tell you, we have an epidemic today in American Christianity. And I hope people tune in online, not just now, but they tune in later on and they hear this. I want more people in America to hear this. It's an epidemic. It's the idea of sowing followed by immediate reaping. Where is that in Scripture? Where is that in Scripture? It is the prosperity gospel, and I think it's straight from the pit of hell. This idea, if you just sow this, boom, you get this. Where is, show me that. Well, you can pull a verse out here and there and there, but you can't really show me that. That's warping the divine law of the harvest. It's prosperity gospel. It is attractive, but it's not accurate. There is kind of starts with the truth, but then it goes all over the place. I'm going to tell you what, it is an epidemic. And it's not just in America, it's around the world. Churches are being planted and growing in third world countries because of this false idea, if you just do this, boom, you get this. Hmm. Instead, church, let us be spiritual farmers. Do you know what a spiritual farmer is? Anybody grow up on a farm? Or know about that? A spiritual farmer is this. 
The spiritual farmer is about sowing. We have to be about sowing, right? But the spiritual farmer doesn't say, so, boom, I got this blessing. So, boom, I got this check. No, the spiritual farmer sows. And then he or she waits. And sometimes he or she has to wait and wait and wait and finally reap. Is that not true of farming? So many people give up on their gardens because they're not willing to wait. You don't plant the tomato seed and there's tomatoes. It doesn't work that way. And so is true with spiritual farmers. So Paul is urging these Galatians here, don't grow weary of doing what is good. And there's a promise there. Did you catch the end of verse 9? The promise is this. We will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. If you don't give up, you will reap a harvest. Keep doing good to all. That's the context. Let me illustrate it in this way. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this. I am certain of this. That he, talking about God, you know it, there's a, there was a song written about it, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't it great to know that God started the good work in you and you and you and me, and he is working to complete it? No, it's not completed. No, it's not mature. But when Jesus comes back, guess what? It will be completed. We can't get tired. Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Wow. These final two commands are very important, and that last one really speaks to me. Don't get tired. You're doing what the Lord has you to do. Don't get tired. Let me close in this way today with some more questions again. Church, who are we ignoring? Who are we ignoring? Who's been marginalized? Who's, who's out there that we've just moved on, assuming someone else will help in the area of restoration or in the area of carrying a burden? How are we carrying each other's burdens? How are we doing that? Are we steadfast in our freedom to serve others? Because I think this is what this whole section is about. The freedom that we have in Christ, the free gospel of grace that's been given to us, this justification that we have, allows us to serve others. How are we doing that? And then are we personally strong to keep serving and helping? Are we prayed up? Have we examined our own work? Are we, are we ready to go? Have we squashed the temptation of pride? And I would ask you, Christian, today, to ask God to reveal to you something very practical from these practical commands. There's six of them. Choose one or two and see what God might do. And to those of you who are not yet believers, are not followers of Christ, I would ask you this. How can you serve in God's kingdom? 
How can you really serve others with God if you don't have a relationship with him? It's a rhetorical question. You can't. You can't. You need to have that transformational relationship with God. Let's pray. God, thank you for these words. I am pumped up. They're so practical. <laughs> they are so clear. And God, I would pray that you would help us to be about restoration, that you would help us to carry a crushing weight that someone else might have, that you would remind us that we must examine what's going on in our life, that we can't be self-righteous or judgmental, that we need to see our weaknesses and work on that so we are able to, to help others. God, help us with that, please, to examine our own work. God, help us to share with those who teach, with others around us. God, give us a sharing and generous spirit as we walk in the spirit. And God, I pray that we would not be deceived, led astray. God, I pray that we would not grow weary, that we would not become tired of doing the good that you have prepared for us. God, we know that you, in Ephesians, we know that you prepared that for us before we ever were. Help us in that way. And God, today I want to pray especially for folks who are listening who do not have this freedom, this relationship with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God not of works so that no one can brag about it. God, I pray that people today, you would open their hearts and they would see the grace you're offering, the salvation you're offering to them, and that they would repent, they would turn from their sin, from their life, and run to you and be gloriously and miraculously saved. God, help us to sow evangelism and discipleship and be patient as you work and reap it. So God, we ask for these things and I pray especially for those who might be considering today giving their life to, to Christ, realizing that God is the one who saves and he is Lord of all. Thank you for our time together today. God, we do thank you for the moisture, even though it makes life a little difficult. We thank you for every blessing that you give us, every miracle that we receive, and most importantly, the miracle of regeneration, transformation, new life in Christ. God, may these commands fall on us as good and godly instruction to help us live life together experiencing life change together. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.